Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. My name is Mark Sennett. I'm the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters magazine. This podcast is sponsored by the Health and Safety event, which will take place on the 22nd and 23rd of September 2020 at the NEC in Birmingham. And you can register for free to attend the event at www.healthandsafetyevent.com. And this podcast comes out every fortnight on a Monday and you can download it obviously via iTunes, Spotify, Google Play or listen to it on YouTube. So we start off with the news this week as always and I thought I'd do something a little bit different this time. Um, We haven't covered a prosecution for a while. Prosecution is a bit few and far between at the moment through the pandemic. There's a whole lot of court cases going on and they're really being prioritising criminal cases as and when. So things are being adjourned. But there was a rather large prosecution that I wrote up about on the HSM website. So I thought we'd go over that as the first news story this week. So there was a £366,850 fine after a fatal crush. This relates to IFG Drake Limited. And this is after... A worker suffered fatal crush injuries while working on a machine at a site in Huddersfield. Leeds Crown Court heard that uh, Javid Gaffar was working on a stretch go selection of synthetic fibre manufacturing machine at Victoria Mills in Victoria Lane in Huddersfield. He became entangled in the machine when he was performing a task of removing a lap from around the rollers. A lap occurs when the fibres stick to the rollers of the machine and they begin to wrap around them. So this is quite common, these kinds of prosecutions. Unfortunately, you often see machine guardings or in this situation, a lap occurring. And an investigation by the Health and Safety Executive found that the machine wasn't properly guarded. Often the case in these situations, as I was just saying, it become custom in this situation and practice for the employees to reach around the inadequate guarding that was in place to deal with this lap. And of course, in this instant, unfortunately, Mr. Gaffar got drawn into the machine. So as I said earlier, IFG Drake were prosecuted for breaching Section 2.1 of the Health and Safety at Work Act. They actually pleaded guilty to that. And the company was fined £366,850 and ordered to pay £23,993 in costs. It's worth noting that after the hearing, HC Inspector John Boyle said, this was a tragic and wholly avoidable incident caused by the failure of the company to provide adequate guarding against dangerous parts of the machine. So as I was saying earlier, unfortunately this is an all too common situation of people being drawn into a machine. And this is a pretty large fine as far as it goes for machine injuries. But yeah, as I said at the start, this was a fatal crush. So thus that is represented in the level of the fine. So yeah, terrible story to report there um only one of a couple of prosecutions that have come out from the hsc in recent weeks our next news story i want to talk about is all to do with shift workers so shift workers are apparently 30 percent more at risk from injury or ill health this comes from research from iosh the institution of occupational safety and health and they've indicated that shift workers who are working night shifts are approximately 25 to 30 percent more at risk of injury or ill health than those working in day shifts the study actually examined five aspects of well-being, including chronic fatigue, emotional reactivity, social isolation, stress, and overall health. Researchers found 
that working a 12 hour rather than an eight hour shift increases the risk of injury again by further 25 to 30 percent with risk increasing evenly over four consecutive shifts so that's that's quite a big increase you know 25 to 30 percent the study also found that shift workers reported higher levels of chronic fatigue as a result of disturbance of biological rhythms that occur as a result of doing shift work in the evenings over many years the disruption of these biological and social factors it may have had a negative long-term effect which is you know, considerable and there's considerable concern amongst this with COVID-19 with the shift patterns being extended even further in workplaces worldwide. The Royal College of Nursing, RCN, has raised their concerns for healthcare workers who are doing 12-hour critical care shifts. They've actually urged that the risks for those doing 12-hour shifts in critical care environment during COVID-19 shouldn't be ignored and not limited to the following major concerns that they've got. So the concerns that they have that these 12-hour shifts are that wearing PPE for long periods can be physically demanding and result in potential heat stress. Errors when donning and doffing PPE can happen. High levels of moving and handling activity when positioning patients can also add to stress and fatigue. Increased time exposed to patients with infection leading to potential increase in viral exposure. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? You know, that is the main concern for everybody at the moment, that people doing long shift works, working in critical care, are much higher risk of having exposure to this terrible disease. And of course, the obvious here, the longer you work in shifts, the more likely there are to be errors of judgment or safety lapses caused by that fatigue. So it's it, it's it's interesting. You come back to the headline figures there that, that overall shift workers are 30% more likely to suffer injury or ill health and a further 25 to 30% risk increase for those working 12-hour shifts than, than eight-hour shifts. And of course, the biological situation there, they're saying that in the evenings, if you're doing night shifts, you're far more at risk than just a day risk. So this this is something that is, has long been talked about in, in the sector and is something that when you're looking at the jobs that you all do as health and safety practitioners, that role is vastly widening. It isn't just about guarding against injuries and risk assessments in the workplace from obvious injuries like working at height or asbestos exposure. Mental health and health and well-being is top of the agenda now. For people there's no longer that stigma of uh, workplace mental ill health employers and you of course are being encouraged to risk assess and to try and protect with a duty of care i as an employer am constantly checking on any furloughed staff that we've got our current staff that are working really really hard in, in our business to make sure that they don't have the additional stress and, and mental ill health from the pressures of you know being at home the, the the concerns about the economy the concerns about health we all know those that have children just how hard it can be to be working while homeschooling and trying to be a parent so we all do have a duty of care on that side so it's it's really interesting these these statistics the shift workers and you know the health and safety manager there has got even more consideration so it's a really interesting bit of research from IOSH so now we're going to move from News of One Association into our first interview to the day. It seems like a perfect segue here. I sat down earlier in the week with Clive Johnson, who's the president of RSM, and I caught up with him to see about how RSM is helping its members during COVID-19. And Clive actually has a really interesting practitioner background in the aviation sector for health and safety. So I, so I posed him some questions to do with what he thinks about health and safety in the aviation sector. So I sat down with him in a week and here's what Clive had to say.
Morning, Clive. How are you? Uh, good morning. Nice to speak to you. So let's just talk about WRSM because you're here to represent them today. Um, can you tell us your role with WRSM? Well, I've been involved with WRSM for many, many years now, but my, my current role within WRSM, which I'm quite privileged to have, is the president of WRSM. So um, I've just been in post now since uh, December of last year. So I'm only six months into my role, but it's been a very um, strange six months, as, as we all know, in the last <laughs> during the last lockdown and, and that. So, yeah, so current role is uh, president of WRSM. I'm not sure that anybody else is going to have a presidency of that association quite like you're going to have to face over these coming months. Yeah, yeah. But that leads us on nicely to the first question I had for you. WRSM has been very proactive during this COVID-19 pandemic, but can you just give us an insight on what you're doing to help your members? I think what we can be sort of quite proud of in terms of supporting our members, well, there's two reasons, two areas really. One is the amount of webinars we've been able to put, put in place for all our members in this sort of lockdown uh, world that we're all living in. And they've been really, really well received from a, a whole different area of sort of webinar sort of topics, which, um, you know, we're sort of quite proud that we've been get really good attendances on those. So that's, that's helped our members a lot in terms of uh, keeping in touch and also providing them guidance around um, uh, getting back into work, you know, post-COVID-19 certain things that we can do. And I suppose that one of the big bits for me is really reinforcing the fact that being a member of RSM in the world in which we live, it's, a, it's around risk management. And never until now, I, I believe that risk management itself has not been able to come to a forefront until we come into a crisis like we've got, where our professional members have been able to really use their sort of risk management skills to deal with things on a day-to-day -day basis where we sort of, to be fair, people have been making things up if we go along because we've never been in a situation like this before. So the competences of the risk professionals, I think, have really come to the fold under this sort of particular uh, restrictions that we're in. So what are your views on how people should return to work safely? You know, this is something I've had to, to think about. Um, I think I said on the last episode of the HSM podcast that some of our staff have returned to the office, those that couldn't do their work uh, properly from home. That was their own call rather than mine. So we've had to take steps to make the office as safe as possible. Obviously, because health and safety is a priority. But, but from a double RSM point of view, and also from you personally, what needs to be done to ensure people can return to work safely? What steps do employers like myself need to take to make sure that no staff health is put at risk? Without using the sort of cloak of compliance, and I'm not one for banging on about regulations and the like, but, you know, the Health and Safety Work Act quite clearly states that the sort of employer has to carry out his risk assessments. And never before until now, I think generating a risk assessment to get your people back to work is, is sort of really, really up there, to, to be honest with you. So employers really have got this duty of care to, to engage with their workforce to, to provide that safe, secure and healthy environment for them to come back into. And there's lots of things which employers can do and, and, and there's things around, you know, getting your sort of screens in place, getting your specialist first aiders in place. You probably have to revisit your your fire plans because you won't be wanting assembly points, you're wanting dispersals. You know, there's a, there's a whole host of things which an employer really has to address to bring his, his, his workforce back in and give them the confidence to come back into the workplace knowing that his employer has has covered all the sort of bases and and that i mean that also extends i believe and i know many companies are doing it they're sending out questionnaires to their workforce to find out 
if they've been in contact, you know, all these sort of how they're going to travel to work. And then that will give you basically an assessment of whether that person is a high risk or a, or a low risk. So uh, that's a good start of a 10 in terms of uh, identifying your workforce and, and carrying out the first phase of your sort of risk assessment, really. You know, in a previous life, obviously, you were involved in the aviation sector, I think, for for BAA. <clears throat> That's very topical at the moment in terms of everything from air bridges to quarantine. <laughs> but, f- but from a health and safety perspective, the people working on massive sites like Terminal 5 or Heathrow, like, like you did, what are key considerations that you would be having to take now if you were still looking at that role? What were the concerns that you'd have straight off of there? Interesting. Uh, um, since the outbreak, I'm very fortunate to be part of the construction leadership group COVID-19 task force, where over the last few months we've been generating site operating procedures based on government information to ensure we can get our construction works back onto our sites in a safe, and healthy and secure, secure manner. And um, working with the Construction Leadership Council, we've now been able to issue out which the version four of how to get construction workers back onto construction sites. And if employers and can meet the requirements of the of the standard, then you can do that. Now, in my day job as working for Derwent London, uh, we've been able to, as a construction client, we've been able to drive that agenda by speaking with our contractors and saying, look, if you want to come back and work on the sites, this is version four of the new site operating procedures. Please generate you can, your risk assessments to prove that you can meet all the, all the requirements from it. So industry have done a really good job in getting the industry back to work, if you know what I mean. And um, these uh, operating procedures are, are, are the sort of keystone, I think, to, to providing that safe environment and giving people the comfort and confidence that, that they can work in that sort of uh, environment. So one of the big topics long before this epidemic, you know, this pandemic, whatever you want to call it, um, the British Safety Industry Federation and organisations like RSM have long campaigned to say that only certified PPE should be allowed in to the, the market. Only stuff that's safe to use, that is certified, should be used. And, and we've all seen news stories, whether it's been the government's bought bulk orders of PPE from Turkey that isn't uh, yeah. safe to wear. What's RSM's take on now? Uh, on that now? Are you working with government? Have you been pushing out messages? I, I presume that this right now is an even bigger area of concern than ever before for you. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good question. I mean, uh, yeah, you've heard lots of stories around certain types of non-compliant PPE coming into the country and uh, people trying to sort of um, make some money out of it. But our advice to our members is there's an organisation called BASF, Crikey, you have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's a uh, an organisation which sort of uh, supports and promotes only the, the appropriate PPE, and that's from a hard hat to a face mask. And if it meets these required standards, well, then over the years, that's where we've always said you should procure from. And I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't stay away from that now. I think we should always go to the appropriate source to get the approved equipment because it all has to come with its CU marking and its British standard and its particular PPE specification requirement, whether it's gloves or eyewear or whatever. So our sort of advice to all our members is is you procure from the the, the appropriate source and not try and get something on the cheap that it might, might look the right product, but it won't be effective. 
Yeah, I think the scheme you're talking about there is a BSIF uh, registered safety yeah. supplier scheme, isn't it? That's um, it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, WRSM have, have backed that, and, yeah. and it is massively important now, as, as we discussed, because with people needing PPE, whether it's key workers or whatever, it's all very well providing PPE, but if it doesn't actually protect you, it's not real PPE, is it? And and yeah. and, it, and it can cost people lives at this point. Yeah. It can, yeah, and it's uh, and it is personal protective. It, it should be just used for yourself, and you know, like all the good sort of uh, behaviours around PPE, it's sort of use it, wear it, and dispose of it correctly as well. Because um, you know, by disposing of it incorrectly, you, you're adding sort of contaminated clothing into the sort of um, waste industry. <laughs> You know, so um, there is a bit around receiving the PPE, wearing it, and then disposing of it properly as well. So just just in closing, I just want to ask you, what's upcoming for RSM And those that aren't members of RSM, why would you say they should become a member? Oh, great question. Thank you for this opportunity because, um, you know, I, I, I say I've been a part of RSM for, for many years now. And um, what RSM are doing in terms of the way... The health and safety profession has been perceived for many years as a sort of tick box, clipboard type of profession. You know, ultimately now what the health and safety profession is becoming is more of a, we're becoming more risk professionals and we are more integral and inclusive into any business and we're part of the business organisation. It's not a health and safety department sat somewhere. Business risk is along with all the other business risks, whether it's financial, health and safety or whatever. And what RSM does is give people the skills and the confidence to work with their employers to demonstrate and show them that health and safety is a business risk and it can, if it's done properly and risk assessed properly, it can add real benefit and value to the business. Uh, not only from a health and safety perspective, but also corporately in terms of your reputation and, and the like. So. The more and more that RSM are promoting itself now, uh, industries and businesses are seeing that, you know, health and safety in terms of a, a risk management procedure is becoming more and more sat at the board level uh, with all the other business risks. And uh, we are becoming more risk managers than health and safety managers because we can manage risk on a day-to-day -day basis, you know. And it's about having the competencies to manage risk and not not sort of. I, I often say it's about being risk aware, not risk averse, but act responsibly. If you've got the competences to manage risk, well, why not take risk on um, and not be too risk averse? And um, and I think that's one of the reasons why Double RSM is getting into the boardrooms is because of that approach. And it's not a a black and white. You can't do this. You can't do that. It's working with the business to um, to, to to get and mitigate its, its health and safety risks. Well, obviously, you can find out more information about joining RSM from the website, which is www.irsm.org. Clive, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. No, absolutely. Stay safe and healthy and keep active. Now we'll return our attention to a couple more news stories that we've had on the HSM website. And as I said at the start of the podcast, you can see all the latest news from the Health and Safety Matters website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. So the next article that I want to cover 
is, is very topical because it's in very much in the public domain at the moment all to do with COVID-19. And that's face coverings are set to become mandatory on public transport. The government has announced that face coverings will be required for use on public transport in England from the 15th of June. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps also stated that wherever possible, people should continue to avoid public transport and walk cycle or drive but for some people this obviously isn't an option and public transport will be the only way that they can get around or get to work transport has been slowly increasing or the use of public transport and this obviously includes the tube and We've seen about a 20% rise in the last couple of weeks in the use of the London Underground. The issue here, the government is stating, is that when you use public transport, you're more likely to be in an enclosed space. Obviously, an example there would be in a tube carriage on the London Underground. And this will mean that there's more chance of people being enclosed longer periods. and There's a greater risk of the spread of the virus and social distancing is that much harder. That's the reason for it. This differs from other enclosed spaces like shops. Now, the reason for that is in shops, people are more free and easy to move around with social distancing. There's more space, obviously not the case on the tube. And shop owners can actually limit the amount of people that are allowed to go in at any one time. The Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies, which is SAGE, has set out some guidance that says that using face coverings in this setting can provide some small additional protection to fellow passengers and can help people to avoid unknowingly spread the virus. So if they if they don't know that they're suffering from coronavirus or they carry coronavirus at this stage and they're not showing symptoms, by using face coverings that will protect other people around. And that's relevant from, from what we're covering here. It's not just passengers, but of course, employees of London Underground or London buses or buses in general. So these changes will be made under legislation such as the National Rail Conditions of Travel and Public Services Vehicle Regulations for buses. Those are the, those are the legislations where the changes are going to happen to those to happen. And the government expects that the vast majority of people will comply with the changes, but operators will be able to refuse travel or issue a penalty, in, you know, in that sense, fines for anyone who fails to wear a face covering. So this is a similar way as having rules in place for fines if, if you don't have a ticket for a train or a bus. So it's exactly the same method of thinking there. And the British Transport Police will be able to support the implementation of these charges. Social distancing and hand washing, of course, remain the most important disease prevention. But as we can see here, the face covering side of things isn't just there to, to, to stop you if you are showing symptoms, but it's, it's if, you, if you haven't got symptoms that are obviously showing. So it's to, it's to protect passengers, to protect employees, and, and it makes sense. So this is something, as I said at the start, is coming in from the 15th of June. And as the R rate is something that's very much under the microscope at the moment, we need to keep it beneath one uh, to prevent what we would always call as a second peak or a second spike in, the, in these situations. So this is ultimately the new normal that we're facing for a while. And it seems to be very sensible advice. And I thought it was something that was worth, worth sharing. So while we're on the respiratory side of things, the HSC has given more guidance in terms of the importance of fitting respirators correctly. This isn't really massively new news, but the HSC came out and sent a reminder that we covered this week. And they said if a respirator is incorrectly fitted, it won't only not provide you with protection, but the HSC is advising that healthcare workers currently using respective protective equipment, so RPE, on the importance of ensuring it is fitted correctly. Tight fitting respirators rely on having a good seal with the wearer's face and a face fit test should be carried out to ensure that RPE protects the wearer. So this is just really a quick reminder on this front that we've covered before the British Safety Industry Federation, the BSI, 
RAF's view on this, they really lead that in terms of the fit-to-fit -fit scheme. And you can find out more about that by going to the website, which is www.fit2fit.org. And that's two with a numeric two. Fit, numeric two, fit org and in fact we have done a number of webinars and articles with the BSAF in the past on this and right now more than ever the BSAF are really pushing out the message uh, making sure only certified and safe PPE is out in the market and we did a webinar just recently with them on that and had 1500 people take part and if you've missed that you can still watch it on demand. You just go to our website, hsmsearch.com, and in the top navigation there is a webinars tab. Click on that, and you'll see the C guidance webinar with BSIF, and you can actually get an hour of CPD by watching the on-demand service. So do watch that. It's completely free to register and get yourself an hour of CPD. It's well worth it, and we've got a number of other upcoming webinars. We've just done one last week with Southors, which was the top health and safety tips in 2020 for manufacturing. And we've got one coming up in July, on July the 7th at 10.30am, which is all about making sure that you can do work at height safely. And that's in partnership with 3M. So that's at 10.30 on the 7th of July. And you can register for free for that simply by going to our website, hsmsearch.com, and you'll be able to get a CPD hour for attending that as well. So now it's time to move on to our final guests for this episode of the podcast. We're doing a little bit different. Normally we would talk to a supplier or a manufacturer, and this time we're speaking to She Software, but not just one member of She Software, but actually two. Julian Taylor, who's an expert at She Software, has done a number of webinars with us in the past, and I was just talking about the webinars, and you can obviously watch them on demand. But we're also delighted to be joined by Matthew Elson, who's the CEO of She Software. And I sat down with both Julian and Matthew earlier in the week, and they told me all the steps that She Software are taking to help clients be able to return to work safely in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And here's what they had to say. Morning, Matthew and Julian. How are you both? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, good, Mark. Good to be speaking again. Yeah, it's, it's great to see you again as well, Julian. Obviously, we've done a lot of stuff together in the past. We've done a number of webinars with she software and if anyone wants to listen to them again you can do on demand you just go to the hsm website which is hsmsearch.com and click on the webinars tab we've done some uh, two or three together and they're really insightful so i do urge everyone to take a listen to that but matthew can i just start off asking you a question if that's all right um, i want to talk about she software so what services can she software offer to help during the current covid19 pandemic yeah i guess covid came as a sudden shock to everybody in, in March uh, with customers facing a whole new set of challenges, initially tracking illness, controlling visitors, but then very quickly we went to lockdown and there was the challenge of how do we cope with remote working and keep in touch with our employees and maintain morale. And now, of course, everybody's thinking about safe return to work. Um, so we're very lucky uh, that we have a highly configurable solution um, and we were immediately able to create a whole bunch of relevant content and forms and work processes that we published in a portal to our existing customers. So they could pick that functionality up, plug it into their solutions and meet those evolving needs. We got such great feedback on, on our responsiveness that 
uh, we were encouraged to create uh, a sure response. So a sure response is a it really brings the best of a sure, um, specifically targeted at the acute current needs, uh, which now of course is mostly about return to work. And a sure response is available uh, free to use for sixty days uh, from our website, uh, shesoftware.com. Um, to new customers um, who are facing these unprecedented challenges. So, Julian, uh, is there anything you want you want to add to that at all? I think I think what I'm going to add, Mark, is actually I've heard a lot in recent times. I've heard a lot of people talking about the new normal, um, and and we've got to got to a point actually where we're thinking it's actually the same normal. So the world may have changed, and we may have to do things differently because people are maybe working from home or they're having to work on site in different ways. But actually, that key focus of good risk management still applies. So it's still we still have to do the same thing as, health, as good health and safety professionals. So I think sort of one of the key focuses we've had throughout this is, is sort of, as Matthew has touched upon, is, is supplying or, or deploying really good mobile tools but it doesn't mean it, wherever you're working from, you can still engage with health and safety in a really simple and a really easy way. So if we start to think about that return to work, for example, um, people could submit a health check on a daily basis before they actually come to the site. So it means that we can proactively be managing some of the issues around or some of the risks around COVID rather than actually doing it in a proactive manner. Uh, once somebody's actually turned up at, at our door, for example. So I think one of the key things is is really make it simple, make it easy, and, and those mobile tools um, so that we can drive a really good flow of information around COVID and the things we need to be doing to manage it effectively. So following on for that, what's next in the pipeline? Uh, what's next for She Software over the coming months? Well, for us, it's been a great learning experience uh, publishing a sure response because we've had the challenge of bringing lots of new customers on quickly so that and, and helping them to get uh, best value from the solution. I mean, it's clear that customers uh, have a high expectation to understand and, and realize the value in their software as quickly as possible. So our pipeline is focused really on building on what are already our great strengths, which is about configurability and the strength of our user interface. It's all about making it easier for customers to adopt Assure and great, get great value from the functionality that we offer. So what's the biggest challenge facing your business and also the health and safety sector as a whole what do you think the biggest challenges are uh, as we move out of this uh, pandemic hopefully move out of this pandemic i should say well i think i think from from a sector perspective mark um actually i think we, we've talked often enough in the past and you know my passions which is about leadership and around engagement and i still believe from a lot of the conversations that we have with organizations that that remains the big challenge. It's the big thing that we need to fix in health and safety is around better leadership. So we have we commonly see small health and safety teams who are working very diligently to change things, but actually they're a small voice in a big organisation. I think the pandemic has changed that to a certain extent in terms of health is now something that is firmly on on, on the sort of horizon or, or sort of on the on the discussion points for for leadership but i think where we have to go as a sector is driving better leadership driving world-class leadership around health and safety because even in 2020 we still suffer massively from things like under reporting 
And again, when we think about COVID, managing that effectively is going to be about getting good information. If we get good information, we can make good decisions. So we need engaged people. But actually, the style of our leadership in our organisations defines whether we whether we have those engaged people or not. And I think I've said it before on, a, on one of our webinars, really interesting question at the IOSH conference last year was, when did you last when was the last time you saw the job stop because somebody voiced a health and safety concern and there were 150 people sitting in that room and nobody put their hand up so so that tells us very clearly that we still have a way to go around this whole leadership issue so i still firmly believe in terms of a sector uh, challenge leadership is is a real should be a real focus for us through 2020 and 2021 um and and that will have an inherent effect if we can make that change around engagement now, in terms of sort of business challenges i think i'm probably better handing that one off to matthew and matthew can talk about it from a sort of ceo perspective yeah i mean i suppose like most other businesses as a business we're facing the challenge of of big uncertainty. So how big is how big and how long is the impact of COVID going to be? Um, I think at the moment, we're, we're sort of past the, the eye of the storm. We're sort of starting to get a sense of what living life under COVID is like, but we haven't yet seen, I don't think, the full economic consequences. Um, so that, one of the challenges, of course, for, for me as CEO is engaging with our own employees. Um, which I know all of our customers are facing that challenge as well. Um, being very honest about what we know and we don't know, uh, we're very fortunate that we're in a, a very strong position as a business um, with a very loyal customer base. Um, we're used to working from home. All of our systems are cloud-based, so we didn't have a big transitional challenge. But there is inevitably, you know, the the, the need to keep staff engaged. Um, to to make sure that that everybody understands what the what the plans are for the business uh, and to make sure that we have enough kind of contingency and uh, alternative plans to make sure that we continue to be successful we're, we're very lucky that we've got a very solid business and a very solid um, solution which uh, which is of course extremely relevant in the current environment. So we're we're looking to to build on those strengths and to bring um, you know the the value of Assure and of our business to to more customers. Now I do want to sorry, sorry I was just in. I was just going to chip in as well. Just sorry, Mark. Just on on that, it's we've we've got quite a nice problem to have, which is as a business we've still been recruiting throughout through through the last sort of two or three months um and, and and an interesting challenge is is the onboarding and the induction of people um when you can't actually meet them so we've actually got several new members of staff who have never physically met any of their colleagues yet but what we've had to do is come up with imaginative ways and different ways of actually training those people and inducting them when we can't get them all into a room together, for example, to, to do some training around things like IOSH or health and safety. Yeah, and I do want to talk about how you can help our listeners to this. I mean, and I'll come back to in a second, but something that Gillian said at the start, you know, I know a couple of the real passion areas that you and I have worked on in the past in terms of webinars and, and you've kind of covered them a minute ago you touched on it we did do a webinar on a leadership challenge and we did also do one on how you can ensure that your employees truly have a safety voice those are the two that we did earlier this year and as I said at the start of this interview please do listen to these again on demand just go to the HSM website which is hsmsearch.com 
www.thepodcastnetwork.com and click on the webinars tab on the right hand side and you can watch them completely free and uh, yeah it's a really interesting statistics that Julian gave in there and the IOSH conference example was, was just one of them but if we just move back just in closing to, to a final question a lot of people will be needing help and so you know I'm a business owner we're always looking to try and bring people back into work safely um, how can people get in touch with you um, to see how you can help them what's the best way to get in touch I think the easiest way is to just visit our website, uh, shesoftware.com. On there, uh, there are various uh, ways to find out more information, uh, getting in contact with us. And of course, you can sign up to Assure Response, um, where we're offering 60-day free trial. Uh, and that offers a great set of functionality around all of the needs that you have around assuring a safe uh, return to work for your employees. Well, thanks for joining us, gents. It's always great to see you, Julian. Thanks for your time, Matthew. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Speak again. And that's all we've got time for in this episode of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. If you can't wait for another fortnight till the next podcast comes out, which is uh, every fortnight on a Monday, you can see all the latest news on our website or on Twitter. Our website is www hsmsearch.com and as I've said throughout the podcast we've got a number of new CPD opportunities for you where you can gain CPD hour by going back on our past webinars and the Undermine service offers one hour CPD if you listen to those so just go onto the webinars tab of our website and you can of course listen to those on demand completely for free and we've got an upcoming webinar on the 7th of July that I mentioned with 3M at work at height that's a 10.30 on the 7th of July and we do hope that you'll register and join us then you know our thanks today to the health and safety event for being our sponsors as I mentioned right at the start you can register to attend the health and safety event completely for free it takes place on the 22nd and 23rd of September 2020 at the NEC in Birmingham and if you want to register for free you just go to www.healthandsafetyevent.com Hopefully you've enjoyed this edition. Please do leave us positive feedback on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or YouTube. Please do spread the word to your colleagues and friends so they can enjoy this as well. You can, of course, subscribe for free to receive Health and Safety Matters magazine six times a year or to go to our twice a week newsletter. Again, that's just the usual website address that I said quite a few times in this episode, hsmsearch.com. And thanks for joining me today on this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time.